It's a very special morning for me, as you know. And I thank God for his goodness and his mercy. And I'm so glad to see my family and friends here. It's, uh, it's good to share this morning with each and every one of you, and especially our visitors. I'm glad you're here. My sweet people, I want to say something to you. If in the midst of a service, I proceed to make some corrections, please do not be offended. It's just a part of the teaching. And I want you to be very teachable. I want you to be open to what God has for you. And if you go to the scripture, you'll find that what I do is quite scriptural. Our public service, the most important thing in our public service is that everybody that come be nurtured, be blessed, receive from God's word. And sometimes when God works very specially in our lives and there is a very personal manifestation, we simply ask you to contain yourself, and you can. The only thing that cannot be contained is when it's not of the Spirit of God. But when it's of the Spirit of God, it can be contained. Now, if it's not of the Spirit of God, no one can contain it. It can just become crazy. But whatever is of the Spirit of God does have the power to be contained, the power to hold steady. And let me tell you something. Sometimes, in not releasing, there is much more work done within. Believe me, I have had that experience. So I love each and every one of you, and I want you to be here, and I want you to know that we are a full gospel church, and we believe in the manifestations of the Spirit, but never a manifestation that would destroy the peace and comfort of a service that we are projecting for the glory of God. In the Word of God, we have in chapter 4 of the book of Matthew, that's going to be our thought for this day, chapter 4 of the book of Matthew. I would ask you to remember us in prayer. Remember Bob and myself. I do go before the grand jury again for the third time uh, this Wednesday that God might just give me grace and that soon we might see the end of all of this. All right? <laughs> then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It's written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, It's also written, Do not put your Lord, do not put the Lord your God to, a test, to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. 
All this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and then an angels came and attended him. Amen. I want to share with you this morning something about trials and tribulations. And there is no one here that doesn't know about trials and tribulations. Is there anybody that's never had a trial? Is there anybody in this room that's never had a problem? Don't lift up your hand because you're not human. Okay, we've all had them. And we've had many, many tests, many trials. But you know, testing and trials prove only one thing. It proves who dominates you. That's what it proves. It proves who dominates you. Albeit what you're made of, what you've got within you. In the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is very interesting. Anytime the master did something crucial, did something extremely important, anytime the master was met with a challenge, he let us know what life was all about. There's the challenge of the wilderness, which we just read. It has to do with Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Then there's the challenge that he gave those that wished to follow him. And that's in the Sermon on the Mount. One sermon, one complete sermon, and in it once again, he tells us the most important things of life. And the last, but uh, maybe the most horrendous of the moments of Jesus in his life was in Gethsemane. And there could have been the most crippling defeat of all of his encounters. Now, in the temptation we have a dealing with bread, a dealing with power, but more than power, I'm looking for the word. Because this is more than power, it's ego, okay? And then we have a, a situation of the kingdoms of the world. And that is power. Now that is power. So we're talking about bread. We're talking about ego and self. And we're talking about power in terms of dominion, in terms of the three greatest longings of life. And it's interesting because Jesus was the son of God, but in his three years of ministry, he was never through with those three problems. You'd almost think that if he settled it in the wilderness, if there where he met face to face with Satan, and he did, and if it was there where he conquered, and he did conquer. It's interesting, it was a conquering that uh, did not bring the end to Satan. It was a conquering that did not uh, finish off his problems in his human ministry and in the three years that he worked on earth. But it was, it was a conquest that was very sure. In the situations of the temptation, first of all, if you are, that's the way the devil always starts to talk, if you are. You see, 
The pattern of unbelief is just questions, that's all. You say, but, but Amy, aren't questions honest? Don't, 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 doesn't everybody have questions? Yes, we all do have questions. And for every sincere question that a human being might have, God's got an answer. In other words, God isn't lurking somewhere. Uh, God isn't in some mystical, nebulous uh, cloud. Uh, God isn't some type of an influence or some type of, of a spirit that appears and disappears. Uh, God isn't uh, some, uh, some flaky situation. I, I always remembered uh, going to see The Wizard of Oz. And I loved the, I loved the Wizard of Oz. It was, it's such a beautiful picture. The only thing is, I was terribly disappointed. I was a little girl when I saw it. And I was terribly disappointed at the end. I mean, Frank Morgan, all a quiver, uh, making a mess uh, behind this screen and, 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 and throwing out uh, smoke over here and throwing out lightning over here with all these contraptions. Has anybody, anybody, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen it? Oh, good. Because you're looking at me as though you never went to the movies in your life. All right. Well, how disappointing. Uh, do you know what they went through? The poppy fields, and they went through all their struggles and the, the, the wicked witch and everything. And here they come to the answer. <coughs> now, I know, I know the, the sweet lesson in that particular thing. And, and the sweet lesson uh, that we got from them was simply, uh, you, you don't have to go somewhere else, you know. Uh, love and happiness and peace and joy are found right in your backyard. I mean, that's the big secret of it. But what I'm sharing with you is that sometimes uh, we treat God as though he were a wizard of Oz. And, and anybody that does treat God as a wizard, he turns out to be just like the one in the Wizard of Oz. Some discombobulated character behind a screen throwing out smoke and throwing out lightning balls. And it doesn't mean a thing. That is not God. You see, that's our imaginary inventions of God. When you think of God, you think of creation. And when you think of creation, you think of perfection. And when you think of perfection, you know that somebody is behind all that we have and all that we can see. You know, I, I, I love I love the mornings, I love the afternoons, I love the evenings, I love daytime, I love this world, I love this universe in which I live. It enthralls me, whether I'm flying in a plane and uh, traveling over clouds, or whether I'm sitting on a park bench, or whether I'm somewhere uh, in a misty rainfall, I, I like everything I see around me, because it tells me there is a creator. The design tells me there is a designer, and I love that. And I'm so glad that he chose to reveal himself. And Jesus is the revelation of God. And I thank God for that revelation. Because it's the only one I could have understood. A man that came to show us who God was. And who was placed in the same predicaments that we're placed in. That experience in the wilderness, it's you and I. It's where you and I have been. And what is the, one of the greatest temptations of life? And what, what is it? Turn these stones to bread. I always laughed at the temptation. I said, because I couldn't do it. And I thought, it really is a temptation to Jesus because he was God. Yet he limited himself. Uh, there was a process uh, of self-emptying, uh, a process called in theology the kenosis, uh, in which he self-emptied himself and met problems head on just the way we do. And I am so glad that the strength he found and the truth he found is my truth. 
In other words, I don't have to fail. He taught me how not to fail. And when we are tempted by the bread of life, and what is bread? Bread is always bread. Bread is things. Bread is money. Uh, bread is everything we hunger for, everything we dream for. Uh, bread is that which we want to attain. Uh, bread are those things which, uh, hey, it's going to keep me alive. I must have it. And the devil says, well, look, there are stones. You haven't eaten 40 days and 40 nights. You could easily turn the bread to, stone, uh, to stones to bread. It'd be a cinch for you, not as God, but as a person with faith. Because faith can do anything. Is, not, is that not it? And here's where Jesus teaches us that life is not a joke. Life is a reality. And he says, it is written, and I'm so glad it's written. It's written in this book. And everything Jesus pulled out was it was written, Old Testament. And what did it say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And people are living by bread alone. People are living by what they can accumulate. They are. And that's why they, they, they're in the fix that they're in. That's why they're in the troubles that they're in. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is another thing that makes me so sad in the world in which we live. There's a world out there that has a silent God. There's a world out there that has a God that doesn't speak. He doesn't say anything. Or if he is saying something, no one is listening. Our God speaks, and he speaks loud and clear. And what does he say? Man shall not live by bread alone. Things are not the issue of life. Man shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So it's important to know what God says. Hey, folks, God speaks. And let me tell you how he speaks. He speaks through his word. Yes, he does. The word of God is his voice. He speaks through his word. But you know what else? He also speaks, speaks through the proclamation of nature. He speaks through flowers. And he also speaks through many other ways. God tells us that even through a child, he can speak to us. Have you ever been spoken to by a child? Have you ever been told the great secret of life by a child? I have. I've had children look into my face and scare me half out of my wits. I've had children challenge me with such honesty, with such purity, with such sincerity that I almost have to grab a hold of myself and say, wow. God speaks, and I'm so glad he does. Man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, what dominates us? Is it the bread that dominates us? Well, we can't let it dominate us. We've got to live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And you know, God says some beautiful things. He says he loves you. I like that. God says he cares. I like that. God says he wants to walk with you and talk with you. I like that. God says he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. I like that. God says you're the apple of his eye. I like that. God says that, uh, that he would do anything for you. I like that. And he did. He did the very best he could. And I thank God for that. And it goes on, and then the devil took him to the high pinnacle. Listen, folks. What is the pinnacle? It's the place of greatest importance. It's that place where you stand and you say, I have arrived. And the cunning of the devil is this. Takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and says, look, from this height, you can throw yourself down. 
because, and oh, here comes the devil with his Bible, and it is in the Bible, so he knows Bible too. He says, the Bible says that you throw yourself down, and before you reach or hit stone, uh, angels will break through the heavens. You know how I see it? Follow my fertile imagination. I see Jesus at the pinnacle. I see Satan making his advances. You're talking about Satan? He's an angel. So he gets up there very easily. I see this. I also see the word fulfilled. I see angels by the dozens, maybe by the hundreds. And Satan is saying, Jesus, throw yourself. Because look, those are all your buddies. They won't let you trip. They won't let you fall. The temptation of the high place. But you know, it's also the temptation of the place of circle, circus. Yeah. Every now and then. We think that God's in the three-ring Barnum and Bailey circus business. He's not. God's not into spectaculars. He's not into spectacles. God's not into that. And that's why Jesus said, and he said it very carefully, do not put your God to the test. What test? An unnecessary test. A ridiculous test. Don't put your God to a ridiculous test. Well, first of all, God won't allow himself to be tested that way anyway. And all our dreams to reach the top. I'm going to tell you something, folks. There isn't anybody here, and there isn't one of my young people, there isn't one of my teenagers, there isn't one of the kids sitting in this church today that I would not say to them, reach for the stars. There isn't one here that I wouldn't say, go to school, learn, study, get a career, prepare yourself. There isn't one that I wouldn't say that to. There isn't one that I wouldn't say, if I can, I'll help you do it. Get your gray matter together, put it together, let's go. I w there isn't one I wouldn't. But you know, I'd have to stop in the midst of all of my enthusiasm and say, listen, young people, and listen, young person, if that's the route you're going to go, it's okay. But if you're hitching your wagon to a star, make sure Jesus is in your wagon. Because you see, he knows. He knows the traffic that way. He knows everything. And I'm not saying, and Christianity does not offer you a down track. To be a Christian and to be a good Christian and to know the Lord is your Savior does not mean that, hey, you're in among the, those that are dying and those that are left behind and those that cannot conquer and those that cannot make it. No! You can make it. And you will make it. And with God by your side, let me tell you, you will conquer. But you can't do it without the Lord. Who dominates us? Is it bread? Is it the dream of the pinnacle? Ah... Or is it the dream of kingdoms and the conquest of kingdoms? This devil looked at him again and very, took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. You know what this is called? It's called a shortcut. You know what this is called? It's called a trade-off. You know what this is called? This is called a compromise. You see, he was going toward conquest via the cross. And Satan says, why the cross? Why the sweat? Why the blood? Why all of that? Go this way. I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. We're always offered shortcuts. Always. 
There'll be lots of people offering you shortcuts. Whether you're big, whether you're small, whether you're important or unimportant, whether you're in school, whether you're on a job. But I'm here to tell you this morning with a great deal of joy, don't take the shortcut. Go with the Lord. Go with the Lord. Bow down to no kingdoms. Bow down to no powers. Bow down to no one that asks of you that alliance. Don't do it. Don't do it. No ungodly alliances. We do not bow down to nothing but God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. His name is Jehovah in the Old Testament. His name is Jesus in the New Testament. He is our God and he is our Lord. And we will worship and adore him. And he will see us through to the greatest victories that we have ever known. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sermonizes exactly this experience. And it's so beautiful. He says one thing. You see, when you look at the wilderness experience, you're talking about bread. When you see the wilderness experience, you're talking about show, ego. When you see the wilderness experience, you're talking about power, kingdoms. Now when you hear him teach it in the Sermon on the Mount, it's interesting. In the Sermon on the Mount, it goes just a little bit different. He talks about not being worried about what you're going to eat, not being worried. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink. Do not worry about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in bonds, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow it's thrown into a fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry by saying, what shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. Therefore, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's the Bible. That's the word of God. Now let's get back to some cynicism. Somebody looks at me and says, listen, lady, don't talk to me about the birds of the sky and don't talk to me about the lilies of the field. I'm not a bird and I'm not a flower. So I got to go out there and I got to make it. Isn't that interesting? That is precisely what Jesus is saying that you're not a bird. That's precisely what he's saying, that you're not a flower. Now, if a bird that is not his number one priority is kept by him, and if flowers that fade in a week are dressed by him, won't he do more for you? And you say, well, sister, what do I do? Buy myself a harp and sit in my house and fiddle my harp? And God's going to bring all the food into my living room. And he's going to bring all the good clothes into my bedroom. Is that the way it works? No, I told you we'd be on the root of cynicism. No, that's not the way it works. But I will tell you how it does work. It works this way. But seek ye first 
the God that loves you. And if you seek first the God that loves you, his penetration, his spirit coming into your life, you know what it's going to do? First of all, it's going set your, your, to set your priorities straight. And that's all he wants to do. He just wants you to get priorities straight. What comes first? What comes first? Believe it or not, in our life, what has to come first is our relationship with God. It has to. It has to. That's why I respect all religions. I really do. When I find somebody sincerely going about their plan of worship, sincerely going about their plan of, of what shall we say, study, I respect it. And you say, well, well don't, don't you think we have an exclusivity? Listen to this. Listen to this. The God of heaven is so precious. The God of heaven is so beautiful. The God of heaven is so powerful that the scripture lets me know that any man that inclines to him, and oh, Joe, my husband and I, we've fought this out, bloody battles. You understand? Because he doesn't think the way I think. But that's okay. Because when we put our heads together and our hearts together sooner or later, this is what I believe, and I've got to tell it to you. Whatever path men may take, yes, whatever path men may take, if they are sincere, God will bring them into the truth. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. God will bring them into the truth. And let me tell you, I'm not talking about truth in terms of boxes. I hate boxes. Have you no boxes? There's Catholic box. There's a Protestant box. There's a Presbyterian box. There's a Jewish box. There's all kind of boxes. And everybody says, look in my box. We got God. Woo, what specialty? Open box top and there. There he is. There he is. There he is. We got him. And you close your box. And you, you're very happy because you got your, your God in your box. Can I let you in on a secret? When Solomon dedicated the most luxurious temple the world has ever known, filled with diamonds and rubies and jasper, overlaid with gold, the finest sitting wood in the world, and when the luxury, which was unbelievable, and when it was all through, Solomon had amassed a piece of beauty. Never had the world seen a temple like this temple. And all of a sudden, it came a time to dedicate the temple. They couldn't walk in because the glory of God, the glory of Shekinah filled the temple. And it was a cloud that was there telling them God was there. And then Solomon lifts up his voice and he says, Oh my God, have I ever made a mistake? Here I'm so proud of my temple. I'm so proud of my thousands and thousands of sacrifices. I'm so proud of the Levites and I'm so proud of the, the singers and the choirs. And I'm so, I'm so proud of the blast of the trumpets. And I'm so proud of what is happening here. And then he goes, oh my God, if the heavens of the heavens cannot contain you, how much less a house made by human hands. Oh, he asked God to forgive him. But God came down and abode in the house. Hallelujah. Oh, folks, that's why I want you to be the bearers of good news and glad tidings. Sow the seed of the gospel. Sow the seed of truth. Just leave a truth. Don't fight with people. Don't tell them what you have is better than what they have. On the contrary, if they want to share with you, share. 
share, compare, and always remember that you're just sharing the light that's come into your life. Because you know, a lot of people have religion, but they don't have transformation. A lot of people have religion, but they don't have an experience with God. A lot of people have religion, but they haven't embraced the love of God. A lot of people have religion, but there's nothing brewing in their soul. There's no consciousness. There's no, uh, let's say, a point of contact that tells them what's right and what's wrong. Now, this is important. But sooner or later, God will work his miracle. In the book of Matthew, he teaches us. That is not important. The most important thing in our life is not the things we have or the things we can acquire. The most important thing is who we are in God. I like that. Who we are in God. Eating isn't important. Dressing isn't important. And as far as tomorrow is concerned, I love these people that are, that are eternally preparing for retirement. Have you met them? Oh, they're the nicest people in the world. They are the cutest crowd that you could ever meet. They're so happy because by 65, they'll be ready, ready. On your mark, get set. 65. Can you imagine that? I want to save all my pennies for 65. No, I like 58. No, no. I'm not crazy, folks. Believe me, I'm not. I just have my own philosophy about old age. My Bible tells me that God giveth great grace for each age. Yes, he does. Moses died at 120 years of age, and you know what? It says his eyesight was 2020. I'm, not, I'm doing very bad. Do you know what it says about uh, Joshua? I love that. And Caleb, I love that. It says that after 80 years, <laughs> they were as strong as the day, especially Caleb, the day he went spying into the land of Canaan. You say, sister, that was another time. And that's when the plants weren't debilitated and when the earth wasn't full of chemicals. And that's when this was happening. Listen, 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 listen. I'm going to tell you something. God is God. Yes. And I don't, I, don't, I don't want to retire. You understand what I'm saying? When I get 65 and we want someone else, no problems with that. I'm not, I'm not starting a fight ahead of time. What I'm trying to tell you is this. We go on living for God till the day we cease to breathe. And that day is going to be beautiful because it's the last breath here and the first eternal breath there. Glory to God forever. And that's the way it is. I want to wind these thoughts up for you, taking you to a very sad place. That place is Gethsemane. And in Gethsemane, it's all wound up. It's all put together. In the wilderness, you have the three temptations. It's bread. It is popularity, ego, whatever you want to call it. And it is power. In the Sermon on the Mount, it's Jesus telling you, don't get wrapped up in it. Because it'll choke you to death. And it does. It does. And what, what does he mean by, 
Seek ye first the kingdom of, of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. Once again, it doesn't drop in by parachute to your living room. That's not what he means. It means that when you're right with God, he'll set your way. When you're right with God, he'll set your direction. When you're right with God, he'll open up the doors. When you're right with God, you'll get your own rights right, your own life right, so you can go out and do all the things you have to do. All the things you have to do. You know, folks, when we come in from a life of sin and when we come in from a life where we were used to hustling, when we were used to doing uh, uh, the cunning things we did, especially getting over, that is an art in living today. It's not how much you do, it's how little you can do and get away with it. You see, that it's all those things that we have to unlearn when we come to God. Because God is not in favor and God does not approve. The one that wants to get off easy, get off lightly. He doesn't approve of it. He really doesn't. I know people that want everything put in their lap. I know everything that want every, everything they get expressed, Federal Express delivered. Well, it's not that way. You got to get out and you got to work and you got to make it. And you've got to show your trust in him. And then he'll open doors that no one else can open for you. In Gethsemane. I say it's all wrapped up here because it's the tremendous moment where there's almost a satanic battle to kill Christ at, at Gethsemane, that he should never arrive at the cross. And Jesus, knowing the tremendous pressure he was under and what pressure it was, the world and the redemption of the world was right before him. The fulfillment of the prophets and all the prophecies lay there. And at the same time, the horrendous cup of sin and I love what Jesus says. Listen to what he says. Number one, if it's possible, get me out of this. Oh, I love that. I love that. Are you hearing me, folks? Are you hearing me, folks? If it's possible, get me out of this. How many have asked to get out? Come on, let me see your hands. Be truthful. Be truthful. You've asked to get out. I've asked to get out a dozen times. I really have. I said, oh, Lord, get me out of this mess, would you please? Get me out. Jesus says to his father, if it's possible. I like this because it says he was a man. I like this because it talks about humanity. I like this because I sense the earthiness. I like this because it sounds like me. I like this because I can relate. I can't relate to high and to mighty. I can't relate to smoke and to fire. I can't relate to a spirit. I can't. But oh, how I can relate to a man that says, if it's possible. If it's possible. Is there another way? But then we have the clincher. Not my will, but thine be done. And once again, once again, the angels ministered to him. Hallelujah. Folks, who dominates us? Thirst for things? Who dominates us? Ego? I'm not recognized. I'm not in a place of prominence or importance. They don't look at me. I must rise to a pinnacle. Who do what dominates us? Power. Power to be able to control and manipulate and just... Hold things in our iron fist. 
Are we worried about what we're going to eat and what we're going to dress? Does tomorrow hold pangs, pain over our mind and our thinking? Jesus says, if it's possible, let this go by. But the last verse is the most powerful. Not my will, but thine be done. And we would ask the Lord today that his will be done in our life. That his will be done in our life. Folks, when we have him, we have it all. When we have him, we lack nothing. There'll be strength to go through the trial. And there'll also be strength for our nonsense in the trial. Do you know that sometimes we get nonsensical? Did you know that? When I was going through all these troubles, well, we've all been through troubles. But have you ever nonchalantly asked God to take you? Have you ever said, Lord, if there's just a chance. No, shoo. You know, nobody's going to miss me. Believe me. It's such a cop-out because it's, it's, not a, it's not a surrender. It's not an offering. It's not a sacrifice. It's, I want to get out. About three weeks ago, I felt such a pain in my chest as I was preaching. I said to the Lord, be a good time. Don't we think we're fancy? No. You know what he says? I'm in control. I like his control. Could we bow our heads to pray? I want to ask one question. Sister Amy, I have my problems with what dominates me or who dominates me. I have that problem. I'm so worried about the future. I think of me and I think of my children. I, I think of what's in store and I don't know which way to go. And I, I don't want to lack things in life, but I'm not exceptionally hungry. I would settle for, hey, the middle of the road. I need you, Lord. I need you to help me make my decisions. I need you to help me walk your walk. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. If you would decide this day, that you're going to give up a few of the struggles. Give up a few of the nonsensical challenges you've placed before yourself. And you'd like to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I really am. I will commit myself to you and I will trust you. Deposit that trust just now. Would you do it by standing wherever you are in God's house? Deposit that trust just by standing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Is there someone else? Deposit that trust just by standing. And as you stood, this is what you're saying. I deposit my life in your hands. I deposit my future in your hands. I deposit my longings in your hands. I will strive. I will work. I will make it my business to be the best human being I can. And I will project and I will move on. But God, I want you to be first in my life because I can't make it alone. Is there someone else? Just stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My heavenly Father, I thank you 
for hundreds and hundreds of people that are standing. We've understood, Lord, that life is a struggle. We've understood that we can't make it alone. But we've understood that there is a strength greater than us that has promised to be there for us. Oh, Jesus, thank you for saying to us so openly, come unto me and I will give you rest. Thank you, Lord. Thank you because you've promised to be everything we need. You've promised to be the strength we don't have, the breath we sometimes feel is missing. You've promised to see our dreams come true as we hide in you, Lord. Everybody that's standing, let your spirit, oh God, be upon them so that their lives will never be the same again. Oh, Lord, so they walk with you will be a transforming walk, a transfixed walk, a powerful walk. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing just now. In each life which represents struggle, each life which represents, Lord, sometimes our inability. Oh, God, help us. Give us strength where there is no strength and help us to know that you were victorious in the wilderness. You taught us that, that, that victory in the Sermon on the Mount. And you applied it to our redemption in Gethsemane. Oh, Lord, you sealed it for us. We will be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.